the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's a joyful day, is it not? St. Nicholas. Here he is right in front of us. We can always tell the icon of St. Nicholas, right? Because he's got his red. He's got the crosses that symbolize that he's a bishop. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but you know why Christmas, the color of Christmas is red. It's because of his icon. His icon existed long before we had all the celebrations of Christmas. But St. Nicholas in his icon wears red. And so, of course, as this progressed into the secular practice of Santa Claus, he had to wear red. Why? Because his icon has him wearing red. And thus, red has become the Christmas color, the color we have with the poinsettias. I see many of you wearing your festive red because this is St. Nicholas. He's amazing. And his intercessions and the things that he does within the world, even to this day, are too numerous to count. If you talk to any sailor, they'll tell you about St. Nicholas, at least pious sailors, perhaps. But so many people seek his intercession for their travels, for the struggles that they face, for whatever they endure in their life. St. Nicholas is there. And this is why, as a show of gratitude to St. Nicholas, we have so many churches named after him. We have so many people with the name of Nicholas. So many people have icon, an icon of St. Nicholas. Of all the saints you could have in your house, so many have an icon of St. Nicholas in their house. His hymn today tells a little bit more about who he is, the real St. Nicholas. As a little side note, there's a, a, a meme going around. I don't know if you've seen this. There's a little kid sitting on Santa's lap, and he goes, Omousios or omiousios? And you may say, what is that? And then the Santa says, what? And the child says, you're not the real St. Nicholas. Because <laughs> these are the two Greek words that were at the heart of the contention between Arius and those who are faithful Orthodox. So of course St. Nicholas knows which one it is. Anyway. So we'll read about the real St. Nicholas because we have Santa Claus to tell us plenty about who the, the Santa Claus St. Nicholas is. The truth of things have been revealed to your flock as a rule of faith, an icon of meekness, a teacher of temperance. For this cause you have achieved the heights by humility, riches by poverty. O Father and Hierarch Nicholas, intercede with Christ our God our souls be saved. So we hear in this many things about St. Nicholas. He's revealed the rule of faith. He's an icon of meekness, a teacher of temperance. He achieved heights by humility and riches by poverty. I'd like to talk about three qualities of St. Nicholas especially, although there are many qualities of St. Nicholas. His generosity, his fidelity or faithfulness to God, and about, as well, his humility. Now, generosity, we could talk on and on about St. Nicholas because we all know the story of the man who had the three daughters. He was rich, but then he became poor, and he was in dire straits, so he decided he was going to do a horrific thing, which was to sell his daughters so that they could, raise, they could have food or sell his daughters um, for inappropriate purposes. We'll leave it at that. But St. Nicholas who was the spiritual father of this entire region, knew of this man, and by divine grace, it was revealed to him his wicked intentions. 
So he said, this should not be so. These women need to be honorably married. And so he threw the bag of gold into uh, the other man's house through a window over a wall, whichever story you prefer. And thus he saved them from ruin and also more importantly from spiritual ruin, which is far greater than the ruin of money and not having wealth. So we know that story. We know his generosity for all the people that were under his watch. He would help those in need. This was just sort of one shining example that we all know. But so many times he would help people in need. He would be just so free with the wealth that was given to him. Because you have to understand, a bishop receives wealth. Not for himself, of course. But people are generous towards the church. And sometimes they might say, here, bishop, this is for you to spend however you want for a good cause. And so Bishop Nicholas, though he himself had nothing, he had lots of wealth that he could then give out to anyone who was in need. And this is what he did. In this way, he showed us what stewardship truly is, because we forget about that word stewardship. It really means recognizing it's not mine. That's what stewardship means. It's the opposite of ownership. And what we do in our lives is we have a whole lot of ownership, and we don't really want to think that we are stewards. The correct way is the other way around. Everything is stewardship. Nothing I own, nothing is my possession. I've just been given it by God to take care of it for a time. And when that time passes, when that thing is no longer in my possession, it wasn't mine in the first place. And in this way, we begin to understand that all of our possessions are things to be given away. All that we have is generosity of God, and we can extend that generosity just like St. Nicholas to the people around us. It's not just generosity of things, it's generosity of time, generosity of heart, having compassion for someone who maybe it's hard to have compassion for. This is stewardship of the compassion that God has given me. So stewardship is very broad. And St. Nicholas taught us that way through his generosity. St. Nicholas was also faithful. He is such an example of faithfulness. He was zealous for the faith. He was zealous in the times of persecution because remember, he was in that time right before and after Christianity was, was first persecuted and then no longer persecuted at the time of St. Constantine the Great. And so he was there under the persecutions of Diocletian. He was imprisoned like the rest of the people and he stayed in prison for a very long time encouraging them. He also was, when Christianity became permissible, he was zealous in going around to the pagan temples and knocking down the icons and tearing down the pagan temples. And then, of course, the first heresy that we had within the church, or the first in that era, was that of Arius. If you recall, Arius is the one who said, Jesus is God, but not quite the same as God the Father, because there was a time when God the Father existed and Jesus did not. That's what Arius taught. And so his teaching might seem logical because God the Father came, the Son came from the Father, so maybe there was a time before when the Father didn't exist. But those who were close to Christ, those who were in communion with Christ, like St. Nicholas, said, this isn't quite right. This is not right at all. And so a council eventually was brought about by St. Constantine, because there was so much turmoil in the entire church. And Arius was at that 
Council. St. Nicholas was there. St. Spiridon, who will commemorate on Saturday, he was there. Lots of saints of the church were there. St. Athanasius the Great. And so at that council, Arius was preaching his wrong teaching about Christ. And Nicholas became so incensed that he went up and smacked him in the face. Now we know a bishop should not do that. And so he was removed. His um, episcopal garments were removed. But that night, in a vision, a number of the saints of the church received a vision of Christ in the Panagia, putting back his vestments on and giving him the gospel book. So the next day they came back together and they said, even though what you did was not normally correct, we understand it was out of zeal for Christ. Christ himself has shown us that you should remain as a bishop. So we see his zeal for Christ. And that zeal for Christ, that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is not following the teachings of the church. I'll correct that. Faithfulness is following Christ. Now Christ gave us the teachings of the church. So this is why we follow the teachings of the church. It's a very important distinction, and this is something we learned in the gospel today. Remember the gospel today? This ruler of the synagogue, Christ is in the, the synagogue and heals a woman, and the ruler of the synagogue, he was what? Was he joyful? He was indignant. He said, we have seven day, six days on which work can be done, not on the Sabbath day. We cannot perform miracles on the Sabbath day. And we all hear Christ's response, his rebuke, and how all the people were amazed at what Christ had done. But we think about that ruler of the synagogue and we say, boy, that guy is kind of just stuck on these rules. He's stuck. He says, keep the Sabbath holy. We should all keep the Sabbath holy. And so he's saying, yes, don't do work. Then don't do miracles. It has a logic to it, does it not? This is what happens when we follow the teachings of the church irrespective of Christ. Because we are no different from the Jews. What the Jews had is they had the law. I've given this visual before. There's God, there's his chosen people, and God gives the law as a vehicle through which the people can have communion with God. And what did the Jewish people do? Those who are not the faithful remnant? They took the law, they moved it over here and said, this is the thing that we're going to do. We'll make ourselves righteous by following the law. And if we follow the law, then we're righteous. Do you see how that equation doesn't have God in the picture? It does in its language, but it doesn't actually have relationship with God anymore. So this is a danger that we have as Orthodox Christians because we have many rules within the church. But all of these are given to us as a vehicle for communion with God. So yes, fasting and all its rules is a vehicle for communion with God. And if we don't keep that at the center of what fasting is, then we become just like that ruler in the synagogue. I've got to keep the fast. This is what I need to do because this is what the church tells me to do. You have to have it its right perspective, which is that I am enslaved, and the only way that I can be freed to move towards Christ is if I can slowly break the bonds of my slavery, which is the slavery to my belly, to my taste buds. This is the way that we understand things. So in this way, St. Nicholas taught us not just being, being faithful, but being faithful to Christ. And so even in his faithfulness to Christ, he did something that under normal circumstances would not be appropriate or correct to be hitting another person, and yes, a priest in the church, no less. 
So please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so that's fidelity. The final is humility. And in humility, this is where everything comes together in St. Nicholas and in all of our saints. It said in the hymn, the heights of humility. What a wonderful uh, dichotomy. The heights of humility. And then right after that, it said, riches through poverty. It's putting these two opposites together. Because humility is the lens through which everything was done by St. Nicholas. We could take another person who does pretty amazing good works. I won't mention names, but let's imagine a, a philanthropist out there who is just giving away millions and millions of dollars, helping people all around the world, doing so many good works. But if it's not flavored, if it's not seasoned with humility, then there's something grossly lacking in it. Why? Because if we don't have humility, then what does that good act become? It becomes something for my own self-congratulations, so other people can slap me on the back and say, good job, good work. And I can say, yes, I know, it was good work, wasn't it? This is the opposite. This is where pride is. You see, pride and humility are like these two lenses that go over everything that we do. And what we do, is we something we do in humility, or is it something that we do in pride? And sometimes we're trying to go from one to the other, so it's not quite as opposite as that. But we have to understand that all our actions need to be through humility. And through humility, St. Nicholas was Christ-like. He was a true shepherd. Remember in the Gospel reading that we read, for, well, for other hierarchs, we would read it today if it wasn't a Sunday. It's the Gospel reading of the Good Shepherd from the Gospel of John. And what does the Good Shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. He makes himself low. He places himself before everyone else. This is what humility is. So when we look at St. Nicholas, we can see these amazing works, all of this grace of God working through him. But if we don't forget that humility is at the very heart of it, then we forget why he's even able to do those things. Because there's something that is very important to know about humility. Humility is like a magnet for God's grace. It's a magnet. And so it brings God's grace into us. And yes, pride is the opposite. It's like you turn that magnet around and it pushes away. We have to be very careful about this in all of our actions because humility is the way in which we can become vessels of God's grace and it's the only way we can become vessels of God's grace. If you ever see good work done, if you ever see good work done by these saints, it's all through humility. All of it is through humility. So he teaches us this, that it is the mode of his actions and it must be become the mode of our own actions. St. Nicholas is a joyful saint for us. He's a wonderful saint. He's one who is filled with, filled with generosity, filled with fidelity, and most importantly, humility. And through these, he became an icon of Christ. May we do the same. Amen.